and hello to our large registered audience following, follow up, following us from many parts of the world. Uh, as Matt said, I'm Xavier Lavandera, I'm Director of FSR Climate and Professor of Economics. Most commentators and analysts uh, see energy efficiency as crucial for a successful mitigation of climate change, but this is, however, a quite complex issue for many reasons, but two of them are quite clear. There are other objectives behind energy efficiency, like energy dependence, competitiveness, distributional concerns, and also there are plenty of alternatives and policy instruments to achieve it. In the case of the European Union, the Commission and many member states have been acting intensely in this area during the last few years and claimed that climate change mitigation is uh, an inspiration for them. That is why our research unit, FSR Climate, uh, which uh, operates in the European University Institute since 2010 and is devoted to the analysis of climate policy in the EU, has been pay paying attention to this issue in the last few months. I invite our audience to see the materials related to this uh, in our November workshop on energy efficiency, which was a scoping meeting for us on the research needs and options to deal with these issues. The website includes uh, all presentations uh, in this workshop, three short interviews with participants, um, one of them Matt, Matt Cochin, and also uh, recorded highlights that around uh, ten, in around 10 minutes uh, could provide a good overview of the contents and debate of the workshop. As I told you, Matt uh, participated, in the, in the, participated in the workshop, but also Tyler uh, was here. So I will introduce them now. Uh, Tyler is a policy analyst at the International Energy Agency in Paris. He's an energy efficiency specialist and project manager of the IEA's Energy Efficiency Market Report. He coordinates modeling, research, and analysis, and analysis on emerging efficiency issues in countries and subsectors. He's joining us from Paris. Hello, Tyler. Hello. Matthew Cochin, he's a professor of economics at Yale uh, University. Interestingly, he, he, he recently served as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Environment and Energy at the US Department of the Treasury in Washington, DC, where he worked where he worked on President Obama's climate action plan and represented the US in multilateral negotiations related to climate and energy. He's joining us from New Haven, Connecticut. The U.S. Hello. Thanks, Matt. Javier. Hello. Well, without more preambles, uh, let me talk briefly about the organization of the debate. Uh, I have prepared uh, four groups of questions and uh, we'll soon start asking Tyler and Matt. The idea is to have uh, as lively a debate as possible, avoiding uh, my questions, one answer by Tyler, answer by Matt, etc., etc., to have it, uh, you know, more interactive. Uh, and therefore, I, I, I ask uh, both of you to, to interrupt and amid each other, if necessary and when necessary. I will roughly use uh, 25 minutes for uh, our questions and we'll keep between five and 10 minutes for some selected questions from the, from the audience. So um, I start asking Tyler and then of course, Matt, uh, the floor 
the floor will be yours as well, about his view on the overall role of energy efficiency for climate change mitigation. Um, and this is related to the fact that the IEA, and not only the IEA, other institutions as well, uh, usually place a very big stress on energy efficiency. Um, are perhaps are we perhaps playing an excessive um, role or excessive expectations on energy efficiency? Uh, might we be too optimistic about the possibilities of energy efficiency for climate change mitigation and this may uh, lead us to, to, to give less stress to other options such as renewables or CCS? Can this have also implications for the two degrees target? Tyler? Um, well, I guess I would start by answering that question. I mean, it's an interesting question. Uh, I, I, would, I would point to the IEA's work, scenario work on uh, GHG mitigation to achieve a, a, a two-degree warming scenario. So we have a couple of scenarios that do that. And in the area that I work, the IEA, we, we use the energy technology perspective scenario. So um, to get from basically our reference case, or as we call it, the, the 6DS scenario down to the 2DS scenario, the, the two degrees, um, energy efficiency is, is the largest wedge in terms of actions that, that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So it's about 38% of all greenhouse gas emissions that we model in our scenarios. And you know those scenarios are up for debate, but 38% um, uh, of them come from end use energy efficiency and then another a uh, couple percent come from efficiency in the upstream power sector. And so uh, we do see that energy efficiency is, is by far the, the largest kind of bucket of actions to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, is, are we placing too much emphasis on energy efficiency? I, I mean, I guess I, would, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have an answer to that question, but what I would say about um, achieving the 2DS scenario is that it's, it's, a, it's a very intense effort to do that, and we require a significant amount of, of a, well, basically it's an all hands on deck kind of scenario where every single policy stone, every single technological stone is turned over and we, to achieve that level of emissions reductions in a growing world, and, a, and especially with the growing economy. So just to answer that question quickly, um, I don't think energy efficiency is replacing other actions. In fact, because energy efficiency is so cost effective, I see it as like a pain reliever in many ways to the other more costly options that we're going to need to do. So in our 2DS scenario, we have nuclear, we have CCS, we have a whole bunch of other big uh, technological options that are expensive. Energy efficiency isn't necessarily displacing them, we're still pursuing everything, um, but it is acting as a, as a mitigating agent for that pain. Matt. Great, thanks. And Tyler, it's great to hear your voice again. And in the spirit of a, a debate that we have going here, I think that we'll find that um, Tyler and I are probably not on opposite ends of the spectrum in many of these issues, although I think on some of these things, matters of emphasis, we may just disagree somewhat on, on what's necessarily uh, important or should be the, the priority. But um, Javier, to your, your general question about are we placing too much um, emphasis on energy efficiency, I, I kind of, I would go back and start to say, that in the context of trying to address climate change generally, there's lots of efforts and uh, 
processes underway in order to address climate change. And this involves an array of different policies that, that we could talk about. But in many ways, energy efficiency is the one where progress is being made in many countries in terms of their domestic policy. And I would say the reason why that's the case and the reason why many people look to that um, as kind of a, a savior or a, or a leading uh, approach is precisely because the way that it's sold to people is that energy efficiency has benefits directly for people themselves. If you make an appliance more efficient or a car more efficient, you use less electricity when you use it, you save money, or you don't have to buy as much gas. And so I think the way that it's presented is actually not necessarily for the climate benefits, but for the individual benefits. And that's why we see sort of progress being taken in that way. So I think energy efficiency policy is important, but precisely the reason why we make progress on it, I think is also its limitation. It's because it's an instrument that tries to reduce the amount of input for services that we all use, where it can be successful for that. And whether or not that's a good policy, we'll probably get into that a little bit later, but it's an indirect way of addressing climate uh, issues, which are associated with emissions. And what you do with energy efficiency is not always directly related um, to the emissions. So whether or not we, uh, so in that sense, um, I think in there, these are things like the, the rebound effect that we're talking about, where people might actually use more energy as a result of improvements in energy efficiency. And it's often overlooked that these energy efficiency improvements are costly upfront, even though the use of a service uses less energy and you pay less to use it, they actually cost more upfront. So I think the question is, is it's, it, it, it depends on a lot of details in the particular context and the particular policy. In the broad context of your two-degree uh, uh, um, uh, question, you know that's that that that's a tough one because you know while the science is clear on climate change, what exactly emission reductions it takes in order to hit two degrees is uncertain, and it's certainly uncertain about how much energy efficiency is going to get us to an emissions target that we actually want. So there's just too much uncertainty around there, and I think that that's a very important sort of political target that tries to rally enthusiasm. But thinking linking two degrees, the two degree world, to our energy efficiency policies, I think is kind of trying to make a, a more of a precise association. To any of these policies than we actually can pursue. It is the place where Tyler and I definitely agree is it's all hands on deck type approach and energy efficiency is part of it, but I don't think it actually should be the leading part of what we pursue. Uh, what options would you prefer, Matt, in a way? Well, well, I mean, we, you know, as an economist, I certainly would go towards uh, pricing pricing mechanisms for uh, for fossil fuels or even more directly pricing mechanisms associated with um, with efficiency but that kind of like takes our conversation to like a different place like early on here I think there's lots that we can actually talk about about where energy efficiency is is good and where it where where it's not um, so I mean I guess one of the things that I you know, maybe to sort of narrow in on some of these issues, it's, it's like, Tyler, what do you think are some sort of like shining spots or particular models where energy efficiency is worthy of its sort of leading focus for, for addressing climate change? Well, I mean, it's a good question. I would say uh, energy efficiency can be pursued in all of the kind of energy end use sectors with very little re regret, uh, so to speak. Um, they're typically some of the cheapest actions that you can pursue. They, you know, are in many ways not nearly as intrusive and, and don't involve uh, as much pain, uh, I guess, uh, for pricing for people. Um, you know, we're looking at energy efficiency in buildings, which are typically described as having, you know, negative costs. Um, I don't know if I necessarily 
agree with that. But uh, and the other thing that energy efficiency uh, really does, and, and this kind of gets to your point as well, is that is this climate policy or is this just pursuing it for the sake of it? Is that energy efficiency, you know, tends to make you more productive. It makes your economy more productive and your individual firms more productive. And, um, and that in and of itself is an interesting reason to pursue it, uh, regardless of even if we cared about the climate or not, or if, if, if greenhouse gas emissions weren't an issue, we would still be trying to, in my opinion, uh, trying to implement policy to improve energy efficiency. Let's go to, to, to the second group of, of, of questions which are related to the to the constraints to, to progressing energy efficiency. And I would like to, to know your opinions on, on on the possible differences between developed and developing countries regarding this. I mean, uh, Matt was talking before about the rebound effect. Um, and uh, can we see differences between uh, developed and developing countries here? Um, also, access to energy. Um, in a way, um, we can have um, um, differences, of course, because many people in the developing world they don't have access to to energy. And now, you know, I mean, if if they enter um, um, into into energy, uh, I mean, can this um, exacerbate actually our energy efficiency uh, problems because they, they, they may use uh, bad technologies etc or also I, I mean we can have this debate on, 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 on the developed world because I mean we, we, we have a lot of countries now uh, with um, energy policies which are aimed uh, for instance at low-income households to protect them uh, you know uh, in order to allow them to, to have more heating etc so um, I would like you to Mm, to debate on the constraints uh, and, and and also on the differences between developed and develop uh, and developing world, and also on the different uh, objectives as well. I mean, we 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 said that this is a a, um, a very complex topic because we have, as 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 Matt and Taylor said, many many other objectives in mind, but also because we are dealing with efficiency distribution at the same time in a way. Do you want me to take that one first, Javier? Please. Sure. So I think that, you know, the question of uh, energy efficiency and technology diffusion, when you think about uh, developing countries in the future, in terms of climate change, is probably one of the most important questions. You look at forecasts, and actually, I would look at a lot of the work that, that Tyler and his organization produce in terms of forecasts for future energy consumption. And... Um, and that is where the big the big game is in terms of future um, emissions of greenhouse gases. So so sort of trying to bend that curve and have lower emissions associated with energy consumption is is absolutely critical. And I do think that the um, technology diffusion, more efficient technologies, making sure efficient technologies are used upfront in terms of lighting, electricity generation, distribution, and transportation is really important. At the same time, what I would also say, there, there are some concerns associated with that as well. And that's that from an economics perspective, the, one of the things that you're concerned about is the, or even from an environmental perspective, is, is the rebound effect. And the rebound effect occurs when people use more energy as a result of getting their service, their energy service, less expensively. So for example, if your car can travel more miles per gallon, you pay less on gas and therefore you might drive more. 
Now, you might expect that these rebound effects might be much larger in developing countries because the fraction that people spend their income on energy is much higher. And this relates to the technical, the technical term is the elasticity, the price elasticity of demand for a service. And you might expect that this rebound effect could be larger in uh, developing countries. So that's one thing that you also need to be concerned about. But the other issue that's really important when you think about energy access and poverty alleviation as it's related to energy and climate, which kind of relates to one of the points Tyler was making earlier, is one of the things that I think doesn't get enough attention when we talk about di distribution of energy efficient technologies is actually what it costs up front. When you get an appliance or you buy a car, there's two, there's two elements that matter. One is the upfront cost. Is it more expensive or less expensive to purchase? And the other is, is it more or less expensive to use? And the focus on energy efficiency is, is it less expensive to use? And that's where a lot of the savings is. But often what's not considered is that it's actually more expensive to purchase it upfront. And that's particularly important in developing countries where we talk about promoting efficiency. Are we actually pricing people out of the possibility of getting energy-related services in general. Tyler. I totally agree with that. And I don't know how much of a debate this, this is going to be, because I think we do agree on a lot. But um, uh, you know, the IEA is, is really concerned with uh, issues of energy access. And as you were touching on, uh, you know, uh, we just published uh, this year in the World Energy Outlook um, a special section on Africa, and for many people in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, their per capita energy consumption is less than a 50-watt light bulb. And so um, the issues of energy access and providing uh, minimum energy availability for people uh, kind of can collide with the, with the climate imperative as well, and that we need to reduce as many uh, greenhouse gas emissions as, as possible. But energy efficiency kind of fits well within that realm. It fits well in the ability to provide those energy services, at least, while still being able to, to minimize uh, greenhouse gas emissions. I, I hear the point absolutely about a rebound effect, especially in the, in the developing world. Uh, but the developing, uh, many developing countries are also constrained, not just by how expensive energy is, but just by the access of energy. I mean, a lot of... Uh, and, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, in India, people just aren't connected to grids. They aren't. There isn't enough infrastructure just simply there for whether they're using or whether the effective price of the energy they're using uh, is uh, leading to more energy consumption in the first place. So um, uh, I, I think I think these are these are important issues, and especially as these uh, as these solutions are deployed in the next twenty years. But I still think that from the developing country perspective, and you know, I'm not speaking for them, but I, we've been in conversations with many, is that uh, energy efficiency is key because it actually allows them to become more productive. It actually allows them to achieve uh, wealth and development goals faster. And if I would just throw something out there, um, we, we tend to see that concern over environmental issues, concern over second order environmental issues, such as climate change, uh, second order, I mean, in that they're not right in our face. They're they're in they're in that vague future world where we can't conceptualize them as easily. Concern over that comes with more development and with more uh, uh, access to energy and other wealth. I'm speaking specifically about you know the like a Kuznets curve and that kind of thing. And, and energy efficiency gets those people 
uh, potentially higher or at a faster rate into realms where concern about the environment, concern about taking on more pain potentially to uh, do something about, you know, future, uh, in, into the future decades, into the future could, you know, actually move the policy and move the politics forward. So um, that's just something I would throw out there. But yes, it is something that we need to uh, monitor and we need to have like a much better understanding on than we currently do right now. Let's let's move to policy to policies. And uh, let's, uh, Matt, I don't know whether you wanted to to add uh, anything. No. Let's move to to policies uh, to public policies. I mean, they are. I mean, if 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 we want to achieve uh, more energy efficiency and we have constraints, I mean, the, the the answer is okay. Let's try to design policies to 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 solve uh, or or to overcome these concerns, right? Um, I would like to 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 know uh, your vision of the of the policies applied uh, so far. I guess that uh, mostly in the developed world and in the U.S. in the in the EU. Um, and I would like to know also your view on on the mix uh, of of uh, of technological uh, information and behavioral uh, approaches. Um, uh, are we doing things uh, right? Uh, I mean, should we be more proactive from a public policy point of view? Um, and also, I mean, we were discussing this a bit before, but uh, but I would like to to know your your view of 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 the design of policies that are that can be effective globally. You know, I mean, sometimes we 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 apply this to to other areas in in energy or environmental policies such as renewables to try to find you know kind of a, um, a technologies that are um, applicable everywhere at a low cost uh, i mean this can solve the the, the, the climate problem for instance no? I mean, can, can can we can we see something similar here in in the energy efficiency uh, area i'll uh, i'll 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 field this one first if that's all right matt um uh first off about policy and about the intensity of policy that we need um i agree with you that energy efficiency is largely been considered a, a success to date. It's it's relatively <laughs> easier to get through national governments to get uh, legislation, get regulations on efficiency standards and that kind of thing. But we're still far away off from uh, actually what the level of intensity would need to be to say hit a, a 2DS, at least if we wanted to comply with say the IEA scenarios or with other scenarios from the G20 and that kind of thing. So, uh, for example, the energy intensity of the global economy has improved by about 1.6% per annum over the past 10 years. Uh, to get to uh, scenarios, uh, our 450 ppm scenario in the World Energy Outlook, we need to effectively double that rate of increase starting uh, this year and continuing that doubling or continuing that rate of increase, excuse me, so around from 1.6% to about 2.6 to 2.9% energy intensity improvements from now, every year from now until 2035. Um, so we definitely need more policy. We definitely need much more ambitious policy. Um, and what I would say is, is that, yes, we need to get the, the prices right. Um, I agree with Matt on that, but we need to more than just prices um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one reason is, is that it's, first off, it's just extremely hard to uh, land on what a social cost of carbon may be for fossil fuels and this or that. Um, it's very much open to interpretation. Uh, energy efficiency also 
uh, it responds to prices, but it also responds to regulations actually extremely well. And uh, they can actually be easier to implement and uh, can be much more effective than prices, I would argue, uh, in the short term and potentially in the medium term. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the other problems with prices is that um, we tend not, so that at the IEA we, we have publications on what we call the multiple benefits of energy efficiency. So greenhouse gas emission reductions are just one of, of many, many benefits. We, we count 18 different benefits. We look at uh, industrial productivity, we look at the effect on public budgets, we look at uh, health and, and air quality and all these type of things. And um, prices may not actually capture all, all the other benefits that energy efficiency is providing and we may be still be under-investing from a socially optimal perspective. So uh, I'll leave it there and let you respond to that. Thanks. All right, we've got a lot of stuff on the table here now in terms of questions and topics. This is, this is good. I, I guess what, here's what I would say. that Generally, when I think about energy efficiency, the discussion about it, the sort of intellectual discussion, the policy discussion, and also the, the kind of like economic welfare discussion of it, is it always depends upon the objective that we're trying to accomplish. If the objective is um, reducing greenhouse gas uh, emissions, um, that leads to different prescriptions and a different type of analysis than if we're actually trying to um, uh, make people better off in terms of saving them money. And I think that these two things in the context of energy efficiency are, are often, very often um, conflated. And the reason is that when we talk about it, it uh, it's always cast as, as a win-win. If we want to address climate change and reduce our emissions, we've got to have greater energy efficiency. And in doing so, we're also going to save people money. The economist to me is just skeptical always when I hear about win-win situations because if they're really win-win situations, I always want to know why do we need policy and why do we, why aren't these why aren't these dollar dollar twenty dollar bills or all this energy why isn't this energy savings just occurring on its own without regulation? Now I think there are some explanations for why that's the case out there in some cases, but I think the scale of energy efficiency that we're talking about when it gets into the realm of climate change is not this we're going to get this stuff for free. I think that this greater energy efficiency is actually going to be um, costly. And then just the other comment I'll just say since we're kind of moving towards the discussion about prices is, I, the, I mean, the one thing I think that maybe has come up that we might disagree on a little bit is I don't see how energy efficiency policies are better than pricing in the short run. The beautiful thing about pricing emissions is that actually energy efficiency then happens efficiently on its own because when prices of energy go up, people want to purchase more energy efficient appliances, more energy efficient cars on their own. Manufacturers want to produce these things because it's what people actually want. So to me, energy efficiency policies are always a second best policy when it comes to prices. What should we do with prices now, with oil so low? Uh, I mean, I, I was reading, even in the Spanish papers, uh, that uh, in the US, for instance, uh, you have a huge increase in the in, in the sales of, of these very big cars after after you have uh, these uh, low prices of gasoline. So um, should we um, intensify our pricing uh, policies through taxes or, or other approaches now? Um, should we use this uh, in a kind of counter-cyclical um, way so that uh, when prices go up again, perhaps we we need to adjust this? Um, what's your opinion about this? 
I'll, jump, I'll, I'll be brief. I, basically, low prices for oil or low prices for fossil fuels are, um, are while they may be good for people directly in terms of having to buy, spend less money on getting the goods and services that they, that they want, it's the worst thing for promoting energy efficiency and it's the worst thing for promoting long-term greenhouse gas emission reductions. And so as the World Bank has come out, the IMF has come out, basically these lower prices of oil now are opportunities to start thinking about our energy pricing strategies precisely because they'll actually promote sending the right price signals of higher prices for energy, which is again a proxy for prices on emissions, will actually promote energy efficiency. And so you're right, Javier, there's been uh, basically the, the amount of, uh, the people purchase less fuel efficient cars when oil prices are low. And they actually are more or less likely to install energy efficiency improvements in their home when oil prices are low. And so we could actually talk about um, how we should impose energy taxes to try to increase the price. But I'd actually even go back a more basic level where this is actually an opportunity where one of the biggest issues that we face, the most direct issues, is many of our policies are doing precisely the opposite. The discussion is not about imposing carbon taxes or energy taxes. The fact is we have fossil fuel subsidies worldwide at the at an extraordinarily large scale, which I would say that phasing out those fossil fuel subsidies is probably the best energy efficiency policy that we could pursue, which would also be one of the best immediate climate policies that we could be pursuing as well. This raises the issue of um, distribution or redistribution, right? Because I mean, we have the the question of uh, energy poverty, for instance. If we if we raise uh, uh, prices of of energy, even in the developed world, I mean, we this is a hot debate now nowadays. And then the opposite. I mean, in, in some developing developing countries, uh, when you reduce subsidies, this is uh, progressive. But 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 of course, I mean, we don't have a lot of time, and I would like to keep to keep some 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 time for questions. Uh, Tyler, would you like to, to, to comment anything on this uh, pricing? Well, I, I, I guess I, I would like to bridge the previous two. I mean, I, I agree prices are important, but, um, you know, just, just getting to your point that, you know, oil prices have effectively halved in three months and we've seen less efficient cars being bought. Um, a, a carbon tax or a, a pricing mechanism would have made the prices a bit higher. Um, but they still wouldn't have addressed the, the, the halving of the oil price. But uh, CAFE regulations, uh, corporate average fuel economy standards, are, pre are creating a backstop, are creating a f an efficiency floor by which ve vehicle manufacturers still need to comply with. And uh, they're actually upset right now because people are buying less efficient cars and they have to still comply with these regulations. Well, that's the point of the regulations. They still have to comply. So, I mean... Prices are volatile, and we and uh, regulations tend not to be. Regulations tend to follow; they don't tend to lead policy. But when we're talking about a uh, a doubling of the energy intensity improvement starting now, uh, and it and that doubling consistently happening every year, or sorry, the double the rate being happening every year up out until twenty thirty five. I, I don't think that prices alone are going to get us there. We do need to account for the fact that the world changes and that markets change and that um, uh, effective regulations can at least provide some type of certainty in that respect. Um, the other thing that uh, efficiency regulations do is that uh, in, as we say, like in the good times or in the low energy price times, 
they help buttress us, buttress us excuse me, into the bad times and the high energy price times. So, for example, you know, uh, the we did a, a quick analysis here at the IEA where we did a weighted average price of energy for consumers. And, uh, you know, in France, the weighted average price of energy went up 20% from 2001 to 2011. In the UK, it went up 40%. The share of household income, of disposable household income spent on energy was unchanged in France, thanks to all these efficiency targets regulations, and went up only by about 0.5 percentage points in the UK. So that's, that is, I guess, providing a reason why we would want to go just further than, um, than, than trying to get an optimal price. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll let you respond to that now. Much, Javier, if I, mean, I could just jump in, I, I, I will say, although I have sort of um, been a skeptical in, in this discussion about energy efficiency policy, I do think that it has an important role. And an, I, I do think that what Tyler pointed to is an area where it is particularly useful. And it's basically locking in the backsliding of things like when we have these low oil prices, basically we're setting a trajectory where it sets the, it brings the bottom, it brings the bottom up rather than leading the regulation. It sort of just makes sure that what we see people purchasing and how we actually consume energy, that it sort of starts to track our technological innovations and in, in, uh, that, that are arising. And I suspect that, that, um, low prices for fossil fuels and how to address that in the future as we're thinking about climate and energy policy is actually not going to be a short-term problem. I suspect that that's going to be a long-term problem that we're going to have to address. And in that sense, energy efficiency policy may actually have an important role. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, we have um, less than 10 minutes and uh, I would uh, I would like to have some questions from the audience and the same, I mean, uh, indicating that, of course, we cannot take all questions because we have uh, limited time. Um, so, so please, um, Matt, uh, do we have any? Yeah. Yes, uh, there's about 60 of you joining us today and we've got a few questions come in. Uh, I'll start with this one. Um, if energy efficiency is so crucial, why isn't there a binding target for it in the EU's climate and energy package? <laughs> this question is from Stefano. Uh, yeah, well, okay. uh, what <laughs> do you think? Uh, <laughs> uh, because the sausage-making process decided that there wasn't going to be one. I mean, I'm not pretty glib, but um, uh, if you know the the climate imperative is crucial you know anybody with the brain can see that um that there's some bad things on the horizon if we don't do something about this and yet we're still not doing much about it and so i think this gets to deeper uh behavioral psychological issues with how we deal with long-term potential threats um and that uh, so on and so forth but with that said i i would just step in i mean i think the eu target uh, the EU target previously uh, was non-binding, if I'm not mistaken, and it did achieve a significant amount of energy efficiency improvements over the previous 10 years. Uh, the new target is in line, actually, with uh, the IEA scenario, so achieving a 28% or 27% uh, energy intensity, energy efficiency improvement, excuse me, in the EU area is right in line with our 2DS scenario. Um, and, I, and I do think that, uh, you know, this policy is iterative. Um, governments are 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 generally uh, uh, unfamiliar with grand project energy efficiency policy making. That's one of the points I kind of wanted to make. We didn't have the opportunity to in this debate, but. 
but to, we're very familiar with, uh, well, I'm, I'm Canadian and, you know, we had a, a spurt in 10 years where we built a ton of dams and we just, we just had this grand project to build hydroelectric dams and it was amazing. And we have all these other projects that are happening in China to build a significant amount of electrical capacity and that, and, and most governments, except for some few uh, special uh, cases, have not had the experience of going on a grand efficiency improvement project. And I think that experience, that lack of experience, that lack of examples among governments is a, is a big inhibitor to actually achieving big scale efficiency. But just rounding back to the question, I think that this is in the mode to get to that type of product, to, to get to that type of project. I don't know whether you want to add uh, anything on this, Matt. Uh, of course, there are plenty of things that we we cannot cover here and, uh, and and one of them is the interactions uh, between policies and, and even targets right in the, in this climate uh, policy area where you you may have a mitigation a strict mitigation targets and energy efficiency and renewables etc etc um, let's go for the for another question uh, okay hopefully we've got time for two more questions uh, the next one is are there any big differences across energy uses with respect to the rebound effect. Uh, I, I I'll, I'll take a stab at that. So I, I would say that the um, generally studies that have looked at the rebound effect, that, let me just start by saying that the rebound effect is a very controversial subject. There's been many studies done and there's different interpretations about how they um, would affect um, behaviors in, in different areas. So this is this is an unsettled question and I would actually say that it's probably never going to be settled because it's going to change through time as people's income changes and how they consume energy changes. Having said that, I do think that the uh, rebound effect is most likely in the areas, a significant rebound effect is most likely in areas where the energy service or what is we're talking about consists of a larger share of people's income. So when it comes to things like transportation and driving, heating and cooling of your home, um, those that that's where you would expect the rebound effect and where uh, to be more significant. And then related to the discussion that we had earlier, when there's lower income, and so in developing countries or lower incomes in developed countries, that's where you would expect the rebound and where there's evidence that the rebound effect is actually uh, larger. There was a very interesting study just done recently on um, a replacement program of air conditioners in Mexico and found that if people got more efficient in new air conditioners, um, that it turns out that their electricity consumption actually went up instead of down because now it was less costly to use their air conditioners. So that that's an example of the type of place where you might be particularly concerned about the rebound effect. If I could just jump in very quickly, I, I would just add on, I totally agree. Um, it, it tends to be in places where there's a large level of unmet energy service demand. So for cooling, say in, in India, for example, where there's a lot of buildings just don't have air conditioning, that kind of thing. Um, what you'll see happen is that you'll you'll uh, buy a new uh, efficient air conditioner, but then keep the old air conditioner and move it to a different floor or move it to a different room and then cool that room uh, that you weren't previously able to cool. But just on rebound effect, th there are actual limits to it as well. Um, it, it, people sometimes talk about it like it's this, it's this black hole that will just claw back all of your energy savings. There's like the saturation effect. So for example, you know, Americans are driving, I think almost up to two hours a day on average. Um, there's only 24 hours in the day. So you, and no matter how efficient your vehicle gets, 
you're going to you're going to reach uh, other limitations on how much you're going to drive. So it could be free to drive your vehicle, but you're not going to want to drive it for ten hours a day just because it's free. You have other th- you have a life, you know. Um, so uh, uh, these saturation effects they, they matter, and they, they matter more in, in OECD countries and that kind of thing where there is where largely energy service demand is being met. But uh, that's all I have to say is is that you know we generally have uh, comfortable homes, we have efficient homes now. It's not like we're going to just start cranking it up uh, to tropical-like levels just because we, we, we uh, can. Tyler, just to lighten things up, I would say in some places driving your car is the way of life. And the good thing <laughs> is you do have to stop and fill up so you can't actually drive for a full 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, uh, another question perhaps? Last one? Okay, uh, we are going slightly over time, but I will give you one more question. Uh, how to spread information on the importance of EE, and should households or firms be more targeted? Quick. Uh, well, that's the yeah, that's that's the three trillion dollar question. And the IEA uh, estimates that between to achieve the two DS, we need about three trillion of extra investment cumulatively between twenty fourteen and twenty thirty five. Um, uh, compared to what we do and, and how we get people to do that, how do we, who should we target um, and how to deploy that information properly is, you know, that's what confounds policy analysts might, like me uh, every day. And um, what I would say is, is that the energy efficiency sector is uh, very disaggregated. And when we talk energy efficiency, are we talking energy efficiency in buildings in Indonesia, or are we talking energy efficiency in heavy-duty transport vehicles in Japan? Um, It's open to a considerable amount of of granularity on on how you do the policy. I'm I'm interested if anybody else has thoughts on, on how you would target the information. If I could just jump in quickly, I, I would say that, you know, when we talk about distributing energy efficiency and convincing people of uh, the importance of energy efficiency, one area that I'm, I'm skeptical of, so we're talking about building, you can't, you can't see it right now, but here, here in New Haven, Connecticut, I'm sitting in a, a platinum lead certified energy efficiency, energy efficient building. And one of the things, there's initiatives going on now about how there needs to be more education of the people that are working in this building in order to take advantage of all the energy efficiencies associated with this building. So just outside the door in my office here, there's a light that goes on when we're supposed to open the windows, when we're not supposed to open the windows in order to promote energy efficiency. I think that there's probably only 10% of the people that are in the building understand when to do what and how to do what. And I think that when people are hot and it's cooler outside, they're going to open the windows. So we need to be careful about educating people and having teaching them about energy efficiency stuff because I think people optimize based on price, based on comfort, based on their services, and um, sometimes behavioral change and modification associated with energy efficiency. While there's gains to be made there, I don't think it's the kind of thing that is on the scale that is associated with addressing climate change or some of these global large problems. Okay. I think uh, 
we have uh, our time depleted now, um, unfortunately, because uh, things uh, um, are really interesting, and uh, I think we have we've had a, a very good and an interesting time with you both. I, I want to thank you um, for participating in in, in this, uh, Matt and and Tyler. Uh, you gave very insightful opinions on these issues. I I, I knew uh, that the topic was not polemic, but I think that. Uh, especially for people who know about it. But uh, I think that we we raise several issues and, and we, we can make people think about this uh, in the future. Uh, thanks to the FSR um, team for, for making this possible. Everything uh, went very well. Thanks, Matt. And uh, we at uh, FSR Climate, uh, the research unit, uh, we hope that uh, you will be interested in our future activities, that you will follow us. Uh, we hope to do more online debates and uh, we hope to continue our research into EU climate policy in the future. Thanks and bye. Thanks.